At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 2020 was wild. 2021, let's get like, let's try something that is exciting. Let's try something that is new. Let's try something like intuitive eating and learning to love our body through a space of self-acceptance as a kind of a stepping stone. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 138. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back, Veggie Lovers, to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you so much. I have Victoria Evans on the podcast today, and we're talking about intuitive eating. She is a science-based intuitive eating coach, and we have such a good conversation. So if you're into this topic, if you are an anti-diet enthusiast into intuitive eating, want to learn more about body image and all of that, this is the episode for you. Thank you to all of you that have been loyal listeners of my podcast. I appreciate you so much giving a shout out to KJPB13, who left me a five-star review on Apple Podcast entitled, Great Podcast. KJPB13 says, I love having a go-to resource for learning about more natural health solutions that are primarily plant-based. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. And I'm so glad that you're enjoying this podcast and that it's helping you in your life. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about your own or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a healthcare professional. 
Well, let's talk about Victoria Evans. Victoria Evans began her career in the corporate world with a prominent Fortune 500 company in the beauty industry in Montreal. During this time, her challenges related to eating disorders, mental health, extreme dieting, and over-exercising became a catalyst for creating a solution to an issue millions of women deal with today. As a successful intuitive eating coach, she is disrupting the wellness industry through her fundamentally science-based approach. Victoria helps countless women heal the relationship with food by optimizing their mindset for happier and healthier lifestyles. She is Canadian, but currently resides in Bali, Indonesia, while providing solutions to women through her online coaching programs. This is a really great episode, like I said. So we talk about her journey, how she discovered intuitive eating, what she means by science-based intuitive eating. We talk about body image, her journey, how it's changed over time, how she deals with body dissatisfaction, the struggle, the ebbs and flows of all of that. We talk about body positivity and the body positivity movement and what the best thing that intuitive eating has brought into her life. We talk about energy vampires. We talk about trust and patience. We talk about neuro-linguistic programming and more and more and more. It's a really, really great episode. We really get into it about her history and her feelings about all of this. And I think that this episode is really going to make you think about some things. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. And now on to the episode. Victoria Evans, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm extremely excited to be here. Well, it's so cool. You are the first person that I've ever interviewed in Bali. What time is it in Bali right now? It is 9 a.m. It is pouring rain. It's the middle of rainy season right now. So everything's a bit flooded. So not maybe the Bali that people would be picturing. Uh, Still beautiful, still amazing, but definitely not as fun if you're driving on a scooter in the rain. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, I miss rain because I live in a high desert here in Washington state. So we get 300 days of sunshine a year and we don't get rainstorms when it rains. It's just like drizzly. And there's not like that big thunder, you know, big, heavy rains. I'm from Panama originally. So I know that pouring rain where you can't even hear yourself think. I love that. It's so relaxing. But then when it's months on end, it kind of gets old, right? (laughs) So you're ready to go out and do stuff. You appreciate the sun a lot more, for sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure you have lots of fun when it's not raining. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Let's talk about all of these fun topics. How did you discover intuitive eating? It's kind of a funny story because I remember I was in the throes of an eating disorder and someone had mentioned intuitive eating to me and I laughed in their face. You know, like, oh, you can just eat whatever you want and, you know, you listen to your body. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You know, if I can eat anything I want, I'm going to eat nothing but donuts all day long. And so I kind of, the first time I heard it, I really kind of just rejected it and thought it was the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And it wasn't until a few years later when I was actually in recovery from anorexia and later bulimia that I started to actually understand ultimately what intuitive eating was and understanding that it was, you know, the restriction that drove, for example, binging and thinking me that was, you know, it was an 
a part of willpower, not being able to control myself around food, but then learning is how my brain works. And so all of that really fits into intuitive eating and what it ultimately means. So it's this really interesting, beautiful way of living. But when I first heard about it, I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard of because we were really taught to believe that we can't trust our own bodies. Exactly. And that's what a lot of people believe when they first hear of intuitive eating. But psychologically, you're discussing a phenomenon that is so real. You know, whenever you're in the midst of this restriction and your body is trying to protect itself, it thinks it's starving, that there's really stressful things going on. The only thing you can think of is like donuts and chocolate and cookies and cake. And you just want to eat that all the time. So I was at that point one time where, yeah, I would have thought I would only eat donuts. But now that you said that, eating donuts all day right now, I'm just like, ugh, no way. There's mm-hmm. no way I would eat donuts all day because I have discovered a new way. But until you've experienced that insane psychological phenomenon, it's hard for people to understand that. So I'm mm-hmm. so glad that you explained that. So tell me what you mean by science-based intuitive eating, because now you help other people learn intuitive eating and you say that you teach with a science-based approach. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of goes back to when I initially heard the term intuitive eating, I thought it meant I'd be out of control. And so I coach a little bit differently because for me to kind of access intuitive eating and understand it and now coach it, I had to really understand what was going on in my brain. And so this idea of like everything's on limits and I can eat whatever I want. If you're someone who's come from a a lot of restriction in your background that, you know, it actually drives a lot of the binging, the binge restrict cycle. For me, like all of a sudden everything is allowed was terrifying. It meant like you know, a lot of the reason that we're restricting is because we want to control our weight and look a certain way. And all of a sudden now I'm going to eat everything and feel out of control. And so I feel like for me, I had to really kind of marry this, the two together from like hyper control and hyper restriction to everything's allowed, everything's on limits. I had to kind of build a bit of a bridge and how I did that was taking a very science-based approach. So understanding how my brain worked around certain foods and understanding what I meant in my body when I was restricting. And so it wasn't just, oh, I can eat whatever I want. Everything's allowed, which is a great approach for some people, but I needed to understand the tools and what was actually happening in my body. So knowing, for example, like simple things, like if I hadn't eaten, you know, in several hours, that meant that I was at a low energy point. So calorically, calories are energy. If I'm low energy, the longer I wait to eat, the more likely I am to go and want to eat higher calorie, higher sugar foods, you know? So if I start feeling slightly hungry, I might initially want maybe something more nutrient dense. And then as I keep waiting and waiting and waiting and delaying that hunger, I'm more likely to go gravitate towards the chocolate bars and the candy because those are higher calorically. So my body's being really smart and thinking, okay, we're getting, you know, critically low energy levels. Let's drive her to go and eat higher calorie foods. And so those cravings can sometimes be an energy craving. So simple Mm -hmm. things like that, where it's like kind of understanding our biology, how our brain works can remove a lot of our shame and really help us to be empowered. Yeah. I love that. That's a super awesome way to think about it because it's true that our bodies are on our side. And I think Mm -hmm. that we're always trying to fight our bodies. Like you mentioned before, we don't trust ourselves and we think that our bodies are always betraying us, but they're really trying to help us survive. You know, like the whole point Mm -hmm. of being alive is survival so that we can pass down our genes and our species can prosper. Right? So whenever our body is thinking and our brain, that primitive part of our brain is thinking, I don't know. 
but you're getting kind of close to maybe starving here. Let's look for the most calorically dense thing because then we can ensure that we're not going to starve. I mean, it mm-hmm. just makes sense, but we're taught that that makes us bad, you know, mm-hmm. that it makes us bad to want those things or something wrong with us, you know? So that's such a cool way to look at it objectively, to take that shame and that blame off. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about weight loss though. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people are going to be listening to this and they're like, yeah, but mm-hmm. I know I need to lose weight because it's healthier and I'm going to be a healthier person if I lose weight. And my doctor says I need to lose weight and I've wanted to lose weight my whole life. So tell me about your body image journey and how it's changed and fluctuated over time. Yeah. So it's, it's been a journey. It has not been easy at all. And, you know, we live in this society where we're praised so publicly for weight loss and looking a certain way. And so for me, I had lived most of my life in a larger body and then struggled with an eating disorder. And so what had happened was because I was in a larger body before I kind of got sick, I was praised and, you know, like, oh my God, you look amazing. And, you know, I probably should have, you know, been going to hospital and yet I was being asked for weight loss tips and how I was doing it. And I'd never been so empty. My hair was falling out. I'd lost my period. And yet I was being just showered with like this love and all this, you know, praise that for, for me, most of my life I'd really wanted. And so it was this very complex kind of situation where I was like, I feel like I'm about to die and I feel awful and I can't keep living this way, but everyone is praising me and telling me I look amazing. And so recovering for me was really, really difficult because I basically had to almost go against what everyone was praising me for, what society tells us is good and actually start gaining weight. And so it was a very complicated situation for me. And what I had to really discover ultimately was set point weight theory. And basically, this is a theory that your body knows what weight it wants to be at. And it's going to, you know, play with your hormones. Um, it's going to play with your metabolism in order to kind of keep you in this happy, healthy range as it were. And it tends to fluctuate around 10, 15 pounds but our body's going to do everything it can to keep us within that range. And so when we're intentionally restricting and telling ourselves like, and making ourselves lose weight, we're actually ultimately most of the time driving up that set point weight because our body thinks that we're in a famine, something has gone wrong, food is not available. And so it's going to push up that set point weight so that if it does happen again, we have more, you know, fat on our body as it were to kind of help us through that famine. And so for me, I didn't know that like, you know, keeping my body at this weight and keeping my body like fighting it, restricting, punishing all this kind of thing to keep it the way it was. It's not meant to be that way if that's how I'm doing it. Right. And so I had to let so much of that go, which was terrifying. I, I joke about it now, but I literally had a funeral for my abs. Like I literally was like mourning them. I was like, I have to let you go when I don't want to. And you know, like everyone has praised me for them. And I had to really like, you know, this isn't healthy me in this way. And again, I'm speaking for me personally. Um, everyone's body is different, but I knew that wasn't where my body was happy, where I was, I wasn't healthy there. And so it's been such a journey of understanding that when I find that set point weight, which is really through intuitive eating and what it restores you to, it's where my body is meant to be. That doesn't make it any easier. But as you said before, our body is our friend. And, you know, some of the behaviors that we think are self-sabotaging are actually self-protection. And once we start, especially the way I coach, once we start to really understand our body and what's happening, it's so much easier to kind of make peace with it and ultimately start this journey to loving it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, feeling very emotional about this because it is a struggle. And especially for some of us that have fantasized about being thin Mm -hmm. 
like literally our entire lives, me when, since I was in the single digits, mm -hmm. you know, and then you did get some of that praise you thought you would get. It was like almost like a dream come true. You got this praise. Wow. Your fantasy came true. But at the same time, you're in so much pain and misery mm -hmm. and you're thinking, I know I can't sustain this. I know this fantasy is going to have to end, but it's going to be crushing to my soul. Mm -hmm. That's so hard. And so many people experience that every day. And so they recurrently go on diets trying to chase that feeling of worthiness and acceptance. And we are so tied to this idea that thin is ideal, that thin is healthy. Everybody was telling you you were so healthy, but obviously you weren't, right? Mm -hmm. Mentally, you were very unhealthy. But everybody was looking at you and saying, look at this perfect image of health. We have this association mm -hmm. that can be so harmful to so many people. So thank you for sharing that. And I read on your social media recently, actually, mm -hmm. that you even had a therapist that commented that maybe you should start counting calories and you mm -hmm. were shocked. Yes. I think there is just this idea that the solution to everything is weight loss. And so I was explaining to her, you know, like, well, I live in Bali and I kid you not, it's the land of social media influencers and Russian models. Like it, it we walk down the street and it's just a photo shoot everywhere. And I was, you know, I was like, no, it's, it's a lot. You walk down the beach, there's literally people on horses, like just doing photo shoots. It's hilarious. Um, but I was like, you know, it, it's, I have my moments, I'm human. And so sometimes it can be hard. And I was explaining that to her and she's like, well, have you thought about going, you know, counting your calories? And I was like, that was not the, the answer that I'm looking for because we've been so conditioned to think that, oh, I'm unhappy. Oh, something is wrong. Therefore I must lose weight. You know, we see the magazine covers like before and after, and we just have tied this image in our brain that like, if, if I'm unhappy, it must be my body. That is the problem here. It's never our body that is a problem. You know, when we think it's our body, you know, we, we want to lose weight. What we're really saying is we want to feel connected. We want to feel loved. We want to feel good enough. And the irony of that is we miss out on so many of those opportunities because we're counting calories and at the gym and, you know, weighing our food at home so we can't go out to lunch with our friends. And it's like we can just skip the middle part of trying to lose weight and actually get to our bodies actually needing, which is that connection, love, and all those other things. But we have to start to kind of dispel this myth that we're going to reach a certain weight or look a certain way and everything's going to be amazing and wonderful because it's that's just chasing smoke you know it doesn't happen you're never going to get to a point because you're trying to fill an internal void with an external thing mm. oh so well said and thank you for being transparent about this because i want people to understand that the journey it can be challenging and even myself Still, just like you, I sometimes struggle and sometimes have yeah, be so much easier if I were just a size, whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so it is something that because we still live in this world where so many people are in the diet culture, are believing the thin ideal, we're surrounded by that. Sometimes it, it tries to pull us back in. So I think that's important mm -hmm. to acknowledge that. And I think kind of going off but, that slightly, um, is it's so important. So for me to really help in my recovery and to start to love and accept my body was starting to create a virtual feed, like a social media feed that I felt really loved and supported in because 
like you said, diet culture is so prevalent in our world. And if we're being constantly indoctrinated and everywhere we look is telling us smaller is better, it can be really hard to want to be able to recover and start to love your body. And so for me, I was able to use social media in this really beautiful way where I created a feed where I felt I saw myself represented. And, you know, I felt insecure about the cellulite on my legs. I added a lot of women of accounts who had cellulite on their legs. And so how our brain works, it's so much driven by oxytocin, which is a lot of things, but a lot of it as well is the feeling of connection and love and bonding. And so if I create a social media feed where I see myself represented, my brain goes, oh, I can connect to that, right? It's like thousands of years ago, it's so much of our brain different from oxytocin. It thinks that if I'm not in the tribe, as it were, then I'm going to essentially die. And so fast forward to today, if the environment that we're in is all people in smaller bodies telling us we need to lose weight to be happy, our brain is going to think, oh my God, I need to lose weight in order to survive, right? And so if I'm creating a feed for myself on social media, adding in a lot of accounts of women in larger bodies or exaggerated features, the one that I struggle with, our brain can start to see ourselves represented, feel like it has a place in this tribe, and then it's a lot easier to recover as well. And it just helps normalize the fact that we do have different size bodies and most people don't look like swimsuit models. Mm -hmm. That's just not the reality of life. But when we have a social media feed that is all of these perfect images, whether they're Photoshopped or not, even if they're not Photoshopped, but it's just singling out a certain body type, our brain does believe that that is reality. That's it. That's our worldview. And so you do feel left out. You feel like you're the only one. So I think it's important to represent real people and real body size and a diversity of body sizes and heights and, you know, clothing sizes and skin colors and all of that to show that we can all be represented. And then our brain starts to calm down and be like, oh, just like you said, I do belong here. I'm not the only one that looks like this. You know, Mm -hmm. that's so, so important. But what I was going to ask you is whenever you work with your clients and they're struggling with their bodies and, you know, you talk to them about the set point theory, do you work on more of the self-acceptance or do you work on self-love? I know that for Mm -hmm. some people, self-love sounds so like impossible and unachievable. How do you help people get to that place where they start accepting that their body may not look like this fantasy that they have? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is a great question because self-love is so, I think it's everywhere. Like it's just, you know, self-love, love yourself. And if you're coming from a place of self-loathing and hating yourself, I think about almost like a number line. It's like, we're like negative 50 right now. And we're asking ourselves to get to like positive, like 2000s of like, I love myself. That's a huge jump. So what I work with my clients on is really initially to get to a place of of neutrality, which you can almost think about as kind of self-acceptance. So it's kind of like a stepping stone to self-love. I think we don't want to just stop at self-acceptance because I think there's so much more. We cannot just accept ourselves. We can love ourselves. But it's really important in order to to get the self-love to accept ourselves first and because if I'm always repeating to myself in the mirror, you know, for example, I love myself and amazing. There's probably a little voice in her head going, that's a lie. Like that's not true. Um, and so getting to that place of neutrality first. And so even like little things with my clients can be starting to just appreciate the super, super small things that our body's doing. So I have them create little trust and wins documents. So for example, on their phone, they open up a, a new notes app and they call it their, their wins. And so basically this thing is like, 
confidence is feeling safe to be yourself. Loving yourself is feeling safe to be yourself. And so much of that is through the evidence in our brain that it is safe to do so. And so when we document all the little wins, so literally it can be small things like, you know, I went for a 20 minute walk and my legs felt really strong and, um, you know, I was able to do this and that, like whatever that looks like. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. Can be literally, and this can be whether it be body image or food as well, but documenting those little micro moments compound over time to be trust because trust isn't built in the big dramatic moments. It's built in the little moments over time. And so when we tell our brain to remember these like little kind of neutral positive moments, instead of it going to the default negative, because our brain, you know, is um, biased towards a negative as a survival technique. So we're kind of, you know, picking up our brain, kind of redirecting it to focus on the positive or neutral. It starts to kind of allow us to anchor in how those little moments of trust with ourselves so that over time we can start to build that self-love. Um, but it does take these little moments. It does take kind of compounding on itself and, really knowing as well, it's not going to be easy. And why it's also why I think it's really important to have some kind of a community around you to help support you through that time. I love it. Beautiful. But also remembering that it is worth it. Mm -hmm. Even though it's not easy, reminding yourself it will be worth it. Because once you get on that other side, there's freedom Mm -hmm. and it's amazing freedom. But yeah, I love, like, you know, you talked about having a bridge earlier, but this is a bridge technique too, where you are getting to a neutral point. Cause most of us, we, like you said before, we got used to just being disparaging to ourselves all day. We believe that that was the way that we would be able to achieve this fantasy is by hating ourselves and saying bad things about ourselves all the time. So going from that to, I love my body, it's beautiful and fantastic is really hard. So going to, you know, instead of saying I'm this and that, I have a body. Mm-hmm. One thing that helps me because sometimes, you know, you have one of those days, especially right now, I'm about to start my period and everything is like, you know, like jiggly and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just being objective and being like, I have fat. That's all it is. It's fat. It's a storage mm-hmm. organ. I have fat, mm-hmm. you know? And so that to me helps calm me down instead of before I would just panic and start reading all the diet books and be like, I'm getting on this plan tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, do all these things. So having that habit of getting to a place of neutrality, I think can help for a long time. Mm-hmm. What is your opinion on the body positivity movement and all of the different influencers that are in that space trying to promote more of shape, normalization, different representation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's such an interesting topic. Um, Body positivity is so important for removing weight stigma and fat fat phobia from our society. And so The reason that body positivity, the movement was initially created was to really bring awareness and to create change around a lot of the weight bias that actually happens a lot with healthcare providers. So, 
you know, someone would go in for like a broken toe and then they get told to lose weight, which often meant they wouldn't get the treatment that they really needed. And then they maybe wouldn't go back for like years because of the shame they felt, which had further issues of their health. And it became like a really, is a big issue and it still happens today. And so the body positivity movement was really created to, as a social justice movement to ask for fair treatment of everyone, regardless of their body size. Um, in this day and age, and then there's kind of dispute about whether it's right or wrong, it's been a lot more normalized to women who are maybe not a size zero, two, four, six, you know, maybe size eights, um, as like a kind of a body positivity, it's almost as a way as a, it's almost been synonymous with like self-acceptance and self-love and now kind of the jury is out right now there's actually a lot going on in terms of people kind of talking about it back and forth about whether it should be kind of returned to this term that was more around like fat liberation and as a social justice movement or it should be kind of embraced as a new way of accepting our bodies and kind of normalizing normal bodies um but at the core of it, I think regardless, it's so important to normalize shape and have that representation. Again, going back to how our brain works, oxytocin, we want to see ourselves represented so that we feel like we can feel safe and fit in. And as well as we know that fat shaming doesn't work, right? Fat shaming, so telling people like you have to lose weight, you have to look a certain way, whatever, it just drives pain, it drives shame. And so in our brain, actually, when we are, are shaming ourselves, it actually lights up the same centers in our brain as if we're in physical pain. And when we're in pain, what we want to often do is some kind of a self-soothing behavior. And that can turn into some, you know, maladaptive coping mechanism. So that can become, you know, drugs, alcohol, food, whatever. Um, and so it has such the opposite effect. So trying to shame yourself to a place where you love yourself, regardless of your body size, is never going to be the answer. Mm, yes, yes. So there was a study that showed that one third of women either avoided or delayed health care because they were afraid that they were going to be shamed for their body size. One third. Mm -hmm. That is a significant amount of women that probably needed medical attention. Mm -hmm. And because of the size of their body, they were afraid to go see a doctor. And that just breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. But no, I agree. I think that the, the movement is complicated and there, it's a hot topic. There's a lot going on right there. But I think that even representing, I would say the typical size is probably a step forward. But I agree that it is being flooded with women that are typically sized and you're not seeing as many larger bodied women. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are some people that are feeling left out and like, well, I thought this was supposed to include me, but I don't see me represented, which is ironic, right? Exactly. I mean, it's just so interesting. So I just want to know your opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the best thing about intuitive eating in your life? Mm. It's the freedom, right? So I almost use like intuitive eating and food freedom, sometimes a bit like interchangeably because it's the freedom. And I didn't even realize how much time and energy it was sucking. It was like an energy vampire. It was just, or like if you've seen Harry Potter, it's like a dementor, you know, if we're always dieting and, you know, hating our body, it just sucks the life from you. And so for me, it's like, I just have so much energy now and so much time, you know, I used to work corporate in Montreal and I worked at this big beauty company and I just, I just had, I was just chronically fatigued and I had no energy to do anything at the end of the day, after all my dieting and stuff, I just was just an empty person in every single way. And so 
you know, once I started actually nourishing my body and when I nourish your body in so many ways is an act of self-love, right? I'm worthy of eating this food. I'm worthy of eating the chocolate cake. I don't have to look a certain way in order to be accepted and loved in the society. And so it can feel even like rebellious, but in doing so, it is that act of self-love. And so once we start kind of nourishing ourselves in that way, it really has a ripple effect over into every area of our life. And so you know, I quit my job and I bought a one-way ticket to Bali and I've been living here for two years and I have a, you know, I have a podcast and I have a successful coaching business and I live in this beautiful place and I have a partner and like, there's just my whole life exponentially leveled up, but I literally could not have even mentally fathomed that I could get to where I am because I didn't have the brain power to even think about it because I didn't have the nourishment in my body. And so it's the freedom to go and have the breakfast in bed, you know, at the resort with your partner, or it's, you know, if you have kids, you know, it's having a movie night with them and having the candy and having the popcorn, or it's going to the beach and wearing the bikini and not caring like what you look like and just having fun and showing up. And it's just that freedom to live whatever you want to live like without feeling like it has to be contingent on looking a certain way and eating a certain way. Oh, yes, I love it. Energy vampire is perfect. It's like the perfect image <laughs> that you could have painted. I don't know Harry Potter. I'm sorry, it's okay. It's okay. but maybe someday, someday <laughs> I'll be a Harry Potter person. I hope I'm not disappointing all my listeners. Um, but energy vampire makes sense to me. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. And it's true because all of these things, not only did you not physically have the energy because you literally were not consuming enough calories to feed your body, but mentally... Dieting takes so much freaking time and energy. Like you're always thinking, okay, how am I going to tell this person that I don't want to go out to eat with them? Hey, let's do this thing instead. Or how, how do I make sure I decide ahead of time that I'm not going to order this one thing I really want at the restaurant because I really should just have the salad. Like your brain is consumed constantly with all these decisions. You don't have time left to live your best life. And that is what breaks my heart the most for children and teenagers that are brilliant and that can contribute so much to our world. They're not, they're not doing it because they're spending every waking minute of their lives dieting, 
So I feel so passionate about this, but you explained it so perfectly. So thank you so much for telling us about that. What do you think your intuitive eating clients struggle with the most when they're first learning about intuitive eating? What is it in there that they're just like, I can't quite wrap my brain around that? Yeah, definitely the fear of weight gain, right? Because we started dieting and restricting in order to change our body size. So when we're telling clients, you know, removing the restriction, everything's allowed, their brain goes, oh my God, we're going to blow up to like a thousand pounds and we're going to, it's going to be horrible and terrible and scary. And I remember when I was seeing my psychiatrist and I was early recovery and she's like, Victoria, if you knew the difference between gaining 10 pounds was being happy, would you do it? And I said, no, like I laughed in her face because I was like, I couldn't imagine gaining 10 pounds like that would just, it was just something that I literally could physically not picture my life. And so I think when it comes to intuitive eating, it is these kind of incremental changes, right? It's not like you go from this moment of like, okay, I'm going to do intuitive eating. And then it's like everything's smooth sailing. And so there is these kind of these little moments of like these little aha moments, like these little like breaks in the sunshine where it's like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can have that. Oh, okay. You know, this was amazing. I wouldn't know how the piece of chocolate cake with my friend or whatever. And it is those kind of little moments that kind of offset any kind of fear of weight gain. And again, going back to the set point weight theory, um, you know, our body, it's going to go to our set point when we're eating intuitively. And regardless of what we're doing in our life, our body is going to eventually arrive at our set point. It's like we're fighting an uphill battle, essentially. And so when we kind of start to understand that, you know, some people, when they start intuitive eating, they might be above their set point weight theory. So they might actually lose some weight. They might be below it. So they might gain some weight. They might be already at it, right? We don't actually know where our weight is going to go. But when it comes to intuitive eating, because our life becomes so much more full, right? Because I'm able to think all these things and start a business or, you know, move up the corporate ladder, whatever that looks like, because our life becomes so much more nourished and amazing and wonderful weight in our body becomes less and less important, right? I think so many women have, or people in general, it's like they have the zoom lens in on their body. And when we start to add in all these other factors into their life, once they start eating intuitively, like the energy to do all these different things, the freedom to do these these different things, it's like we start to take that zoom lens out on the weight loss in our body. And we've almost crowded out our life with so many amazing things that weight no longer feels like the most important thing to them. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. 
In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. Yes, that's so beautiful. And the words that came to my mind are trust and patience Mm -hmm. because it does require trust. There's that theme of that trust again, but just like you're saying, it's not like a one, one shot sort of thing. You're going to have the up and down. You're going to be like, I don't know. This Victoria lady's crazy. I don't know if I trust her. This is not going to work for me. And you almost have to get to that point where you've finally had enough and you're willing to try it because you're so miserable Mm -hmm. from the other thing you've been doing. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. This just came to my mind. But what's the oldest age? What's the oldest age client that you've worked with? I worked with someone who was 57. Because one of the things that I realized, so this was a few years ago when I went to a popular program, dieting program thing, and there were 70 year old women in there. And one story that I will never forget is that one of the women actually died during the time and she got admitted to the hospital and her, one of her last messages to the group was how proud she was that on the hospital scale, she had lost weight on the bed scale. Is making me cry because I was like, oh my God, how, how is that the most happy thing when you're about to die at the end of your life? And then I thought, I do not want to be there because if you don't stop, it's possible that you could be there when you're 70 or 80 or dying on the hospital bed that what the most important thing to you is losing a few pounds. So that to me showed me that if you don't make an effort to learn this other way of being, you could be stuck in this cycle forever. <laughs> so you're, you're sorry, wrong your whole life, life, right? You're just, your whole life gets taken, right? We, we live one life. And if we're spending every moment of every day making mental calculations about the punishment we deserve for having eaten something or the permission to eat something else, like the, I just remember my brain was just, I was never fully present because I was always trying to calculate what I was allowed and not allowed to eat and how long I had to work out. And yeah, if you don't do the work, if you don't, and it's difficult, right? It's, I think it, it goes against what we've been told our whole life in terms of not being able to trust our body but we can't trust our body. We were born knowing, you know, our body is so incredibly smart and it is our friend. And it does take time to sometimes relearn some of these cues that we've been told we couldn't trust. But once we can, it's like, and I get really passionate about it as well, because I think it's, it's like a human rights thing, you know, like, it's like, it's like this giant diet culture, right? It's like a big giant cult that is just kind of taking over your brain and not allowing you to show up in the world. And young women, young girls, like, 
the potential that they have, and yet it's being squandered by doing these ridiculous weight loss things. And I think even so, it's it's so complicated, especially now, because it's not always clear cut what is the diet now. I think the word wellness is really taken over. And so it's, oh, I'm not dieting, I'm not doing keto, but I'm doing intermittent fasting and I'm doing, um, you know, I'm doing like whatever else, eating all these superfoods and I'm only eating this things at certain times, whatever. And it's, it can very quickly, we, it's like diet culture had to morph and evolve in order to stay relevant, in order to stay alive. And so we have to be really on the lookout and aware for like, I was talking about it the other day. It's like almost like in Scooby Doo, they take the mask off and it's like, oh, it's still diet culture. It's just it's still diet culture. <laughs> You're right. And, and I think it's because in some ways, dieting has gotten a bad name. And so we don't want to be, be dieting. But at the same time, even if we don't admit it, we secretly want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And so then there's these ways where you can lose weight and be healthy. It's better for your brain. It's better for your liver. You know, yay. So then it's a win-win. But really, at the end of the day, it's restriction, mm -hmm. you know, and you're still at that point of misery. And I know that when I diet, I am so irritable, <laughs> you know, because I'm, my mind is so consumed. So I'm mean, I'm just a mean mm -hmm. person and I don't like being that mean person. You yes. know, nobody wants to be around me. Oh, so what do you think is the biggest intuitive eating misconception that you're just so sick of? Mm. Definitely that when I'm allowed to eat whatever I want, I'm going to eat everything. Right. So going back to that, like, oh, if I'm allowed to have all the donuts, I'm only going to ever eat donuts. Right. And the thing is, like, and what I always say is that restriction creates rebellion and allowance creates space for choice. So mm. if I'm telling you, you're, you know, for example, what's your favorite food? Um, well, probably chickpeas and rice. Mm, okay. If I'm telling you starting tomorrow, you're never, ever allowed to have any chickpeas and rice. What are you probably going to do tonight? binge on chickpeas and rice because right. that would be really bad right right <laughs> and so yet we do the exact same thing with ourselves you know okay once I finish this box of cookies I'm never gonna have any more I'm not gonna buy another box I'm so bad I'm so naughty I indulged in this what is wrong with me I'm broken I'm not gonna have any more and that just drives this like binging mentality of like okay well I'm, I better finish the whole thing tonight and I better eat as much as I can now because starting tomorrow I get back on track and that drives the binging behavior right what your brain hears is oh we're going into a famine so we better store up as much as we possibly can right now to get us through that right so it's this feast famine mentality we're going to feast before the famine and so the only reason that we want the donuts is because we've told ourselves that we're not allowed to have the donuts but if I'm really leaning into this idea of like I could have as many donuts as I want all day long, every moment of every day, your brain goes, oh, well, that's not very interesting, right? And I mean, initially, there might be this kind of what they call a honeymoon period of like, oh my God, I'm allowed to have the donuts, super exciting. But once our brain realizes that it's not going back into a famine, it's not going to be taken off limits, that there's actually going to be an abundance of donuts, it starts to relax. It starts to just like, oh, okay, cool. I don't need to be paranoid about this anymore. And then that's when you start to move into that real, like those little light bulb moments of intuitive eating. And we start to have that level of food freedom. Yes. I love it because then your brain and your body's actually able to tune into the food. And sometimes the foods that you used to binge on that were like your very favorite foods, you realize taste awful mm -hmm. and make you feel awful. 
And you're just like, I don't know how I ate like five boxes of this in a row because it's gross. Mm -hmm. But we we did it because it was labeled as this bad food that we shouldn't ever have. And it creates this crazy thing. It makes me think of what they do for couples that might be having sex problems. And they actually can do trial a sex restriction period and purposely say, you guys can't have sex for this amount of time. And then guess what happens? Yeah. <laughs> it works. <laughs> so you do the same thing with food. You cannot have Oreos ever. The only thing you're going to be thinking about is Oreos. Mm -hmm. And so it can happen with any food, but we tend to do it with these foods that we've labeled as bad, as mm -hmm. problem foods, as whatever we're quote addicted to or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are things that interfere with practicing, learning, relearning maybe? intuitive eating in a person's life? Why have we gotten so out of touch with this inner wisdom? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it comes back to that society diet culture has literally sold us this idea that we can't trust our body. And it works really well for them. If I, I tell you, you no, 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 like you have to eat this way if you want to lose weight, if you want to look good, then we basically think that we can't trust ourselves. And so we become mm -hmm. so out of touch with our body's cues because we're told we can't trust them. And so much of how our brain works is through those little, those by listening and kind of absorbing the environment around us. Right. And so if I'm always telling myself, or I'm always being told, I can't trust my body. Your brain goes, Oh, okay. Right. We have so much incoming stimuli at every moment of every day. It has to filter what is important, relevant information and how it kind of does that is by what is being told again and again and again, it's going to store that as like, Oh, that's important, relevant information. Victoria best definitely needs to know that. And so it's going to really plant that in my subconscious mind that I can't trust my body. It thinks it's doing that because it's helping me because it's always appearing in my, you know, my life. But in reality, it also means that in many ways, I'm actually disconnecting myself from my own body. I'm all saying, yeah, I can't trust my body. My brain goes, oh, okay. And then it's not, I'm not going to be able to feel my hunger cues. I'm not going to be able to feel my fullness cues. If I'm always saying, oh, I always eat past full, it almost becomes a little bit of a blueprint for ourselves. Or I'm like, I'm always eating past full, or I always have to finish my plate. And then we've kind of primed our brain as it were to always finish our, our plate. Um, and so even like a simple thing that we can start to change, to get back in touch with our body is being super mindful of our language, knowing it really ultimately primes our brain and then our actions. So I'm learning to get back in touch with my body. I'm proud of myself for listening to my cues. This is difficult, but I'm learning how to, you know, practice self-compassion, like whatever that looks like. But getting so intentional with the language can start to create a bit of a blueprint, which can also help us to get more back in touch with our body's cues. Yeah, that neuro-linguistic programming, mm -hmm. it's very effective and it's very important to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. But essentially what you're saying is, one of the prerequisites for really learning intuitive eating is to let go mm -hmm. of this outcome of a certain body size mm -hmm. and to maybe instead become curious because yes. like what you were saying before, your body may actually stay the same. You may gain, you may lose depending on the situation that you were at the time. So it's more about being curious, letting go of the outcome and focusing on tuning in mm -hmm. and enjoying and, you know, deriving this well-being from your food. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we're in the midst of right now is this global pandemic. Everybody's habits has changed, staying home a lot. And one of the things that really concerns me is the headlines that we're just seeing this panic, the weight gain 
childhood obesity. Everything's getting worse. Oh my God, we're all just fat and we're going to die. You know, so people are panicking. And so now it's the end of the year where we're actually recording this before the new year. Mm -hmm. And it's very routine and typical for people to start planning their diets and their cleanses and their whatever they're going to do. But I think this year, the pressure is even greater. So tell us a little bit, what advice would you have for listeners right now that are panicking, that are feeling really stressed out about the ways that their bodies might have changed during this global pandemic and it's interfering with their well-being what advice do you have Mm -hmm. i think for me and for everyone like this global pandemic is really difficult right it's we're in a really tough situation and so acknowledging that it's okay to feel scared it's okay to feel overwhelmed it's okay to feel frustrated it's okay to mourn the year that you thought you were going to have right and so i think the first step there is just like acknowledging that all your feelings are super real and not judging them. The second thing I lean into is diets don't work, right? And so there is so much excitement around January 1st, New Year's resolutions, but like we know that diets don't work. We know that weight cycling is a very real thing where if you lose weight, you tend to gain more weight than what you were initially at um, when you started the diet. You know, people who are always starting a weight loss plan every year you're starting it every year, which means that it didn't work last year. And it's probably not going to, as in, it's not going to work this year. Right. And so I always invite people like, why not try something different this year? We've tried the dieting. We tried the restriction. We tried the beating ourselves up and 2020 was wild. 2021. Let's get like, let's try something that is exciting. Let's try something that is new. Let's try something like intuitive eating and learning to love our body through a space of self-acceptance as a kind of a stepping stone. But leaning into as well, like, what did you, what do you think that weight loss will help you achieve? Right. Cause what is that end goal there? Because weight loss is not ultimately going to give you the happiness and the connection, the love, but what actually is. So it's almost like taking a few steps backwards where, you know, is it connecting more with certain people in your life? Is it starting a new job or picking up new skills or careers? Like, are those the things that are actually going to bring you joy and excitement and curiosity and all those things? Because once we start leaning into that as well, kind of going back to what I said before, our body and losing weight becomes less and less important. We become less, less fixated on that in our eating habits when we have other things in our life that bring us a lot of joy and excitement. So kind of to summarize that, I would say that we know like diets don't work. It literally really just leads to weight cycling that increases our body weight, which is the opposite effect of what we want to have. So I invite people to lean into intuitive eating as well as really start to create other, you know, resolutions or exciting goals that they'd like to do and add in more of. So again, this idea of crowding out your life with more of the things that actually bring you joy that don't have anything to do with food. You know, is that cooking classes like online or is that new skills or learning a new language or planning a vacation in the future, like whatever that looks like, but leaning into those things that can truly bring you joy instead of this kind of elusive weight loss thing, which will not bring you joy and also will not bring you weight loss if we're trying to diet. Yeah, perfect. And I love that trying to reflect on those past years and realize why is it that I'm starting a new diet every January 1st? Oh, because that other one, I couldn't sustain that lifestyle, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I would add, just because Mm -hmm. I'm a lifestyle medicine physician is, you know, I tell people we don't have control over our weight. Mm -hmm. I totally 
agree with you on the set point theory, but what we do have control over is our habits and behaviors. Mm -hmm. So what things can you control that are going to help you feel better overall? Mm -hmm. Are you skimping on your sleep and staying up late and watching Netflix? Get more sleep. Can you move your body more? Not because of weight loss, but because it feels dang good. Can you do that? You know, can you reach out and connect with people? Just like you were saying, what are things that you can control that will give you that sense of well-being that you're after that you think a crash diet is going to give you, but probably not, mm -hmm. you know? So that's great. What do you wish more people knew? Mm. That changing your body is not going to make you happier. It's not going to make you more amazing, more lovable, more worthy, right? There's never a goal weight where you're just going to all of a sudden just arrive there and just like, you know, I jumped before I posted about the other day where I remember years ago, I had gotten down to like a size two when I was in the change room and I called to the lady. I was like, oh, can you bring me the size down? I was like very kind of like, you know, loud and dramatic about it. And then I put them on, I zip them up and I was like, I am still the same person. You know, like nothing has happened. I don't have a boyfriend who all of a sudden like came out of the woodwork to love me. You know, I don't all of a sudden have a promotion at my job. If anything, like I was just so broken and hungry and grumpy. Like I was saying before, when you're hungry, you're just grumpy and irritable. And, you know, it's, you're never going to have food freedom. So you're never going to have freedom by implementing control, right? So that you're never going to get to a place of so much control with your diet, so much hyper restriction that all of a sudden you're going to reach a place of freedom and happiness. It doesn't work that way. So I wish more people knew that and knew that in order to find that true sense of like peace and love and happiness, it doesn't come from an external thing in your life. It really does come from those internal changes. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So beautiful. Well, Victoria, if you had a magic wand and you could change or create anything in the world, what would you do? I would change weight discrimination because I think that our dieting is driven by fat phobia and our desire to restrict and lose weight is, and which again, really robs us of our life is the fear of, you know, gaining weight. And so if you could remove this kind of this horrible thing of like possibly having some fat on your body, it would just free up our brain, free up so much capacity for us to actually live our life and change the world as it were. I really think of it so much as like a feminist movement of, you know, learning to love and accept our body because once we do that, then anything is possible. Right. And so, yeah, I think for me, weight discrimination, if we can eliminate that, it just kind of unlocks so much freedom for everyone. Mm, I love it. I'm with you, sister. Yes. <laughs> yeah, create the movement. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I love to ask about my guest's personal habits mm -hmm. just because it's interesting. So what personal habit are you most proud of and why? Mm. For me, I'd have to say sitting with myself, which sounds kind of strange, but I'm someone who lived so much of my life just hating myself to the core of my being. I've always struggled, you know, when I was younger with my mental health, like depression, I tried to take my own life three different times. Like I was really in the thick of it, like hated myself, which meant I was terrified to be alone with myself and my own thoughts, my own emotions, which often led to me, you know, overeating and binging and all these different things to try to numb myself out and distract myself and buffer from my own pain, my own emotions. And so for me, what I'm most proud of is the fact that I can sit with my own emotions now. I can be with my own thoughts and not be afraid of them anymore and really get curious about them and understand as well, like society tells us we should never be sad or lonely or whatever, but that's human. 
Like there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken when we're upset or sad. It just means that we're a human existing. You don't need to kind of buffer it away or anything. It's really that contrast of life that allows us to appreciate it. If it's always sunny, we're never going to appreciate the sun. And so we have to have that little contrast, but it's giving yourself permission to sit with your emotions, giving yourself the time and space to do so, acknowledging them, allowing them, and then they pass, right? Versus that resistance to however we're feeling and telling I shouldn't sit with myself. And then it just kind of ends up, we struggle with so many different things in our life because we're never able to get slow, tune in to what our body's actually telling us. Mm, that's gold. It's so invaluable to have that ability that most people don't have. We're very uncomfortable with our emotions. So that term buffering, we do it a lot. We do it with food. We do it with alcohol. We do it with people. You know, we do it with consuming all kinds of different media. So it is such a great skill. And I'm mm -hmm. so happy that you shared that with us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, Victoria, this has been just a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate everything that you do. I'm so grateful that you're out there helping people and living your best life in Bali. How fun is that? Before I ask you the last question, can you please tell my listeners how they can connect with you and what products and services you offer? Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for having me. I love talking about this kind of stuff. I could talk about it all day long. Um, so I'm very active on Instagram and it's at Victoria Evans official. Um, I also have my website, www.victoriaevansofficial.com. And so right now I'm offering my one-on-one -on -one coaching program, 90 days to food freedom. I also have my podcast, which is called weighing in on happy, where I will say spoiler alert, it's not your weight that makes you happy. Um, and so most most of my things go through there. And as well as if you go to my Instagram, you can sign up for my daily email service, which is called food for thought, totally free and just kind of gives you a little negative information every single day. Um, but I would say those are probably the two main ones. And then if you did ever want to shoot me an email, it's hello at victoriaevansofficial.com. Okay, perfect. And I'll make sure everything is in the show notes. So the last, last task a tongue twister there. Last task I ask you to leave us with is one call to action for the week. Mm. What one thing can we do this week to improve our lives? Mm. Okay. This is a really simple one, but it can be really, really powerful. So because our brain is so much driven by like repetition, frequency over time in terms of how it's wired. If we want to change how we think and want to change our behaviors, we want to change the pathways that we're firing on. And sometimes we kind of get into a bit of a default mode. So what I like to do with clients, like a really simple thing is to take your phone out and go to, to go to your alarms and go to your, make it a silent alarm. You don't want to scare the bejesus out of yourself. Um, but type in where it says alarm, something around the, the lines of, you know, what's going on for me right now? What do I need? You know, or how am I feeling? Um, or even a question I was asked myself, am I doing this out of love or fear, you know, because I love myself and I feel really good about this or because I'm afraid of something and I'm worried what's going to happen if I don't. So just kind of like little questions that are little prompts and little moments that, again, you can kind of check in with yourself, get curious, get still, because often we're going 110 miles an hour through the whole day and we never get a chance to kind of see where we're at. And so just like a simple, easy tool like that can give you the space to check in with your body, which again, is intuitive eating, listening to your body, but it takes practice to kind of slow down and tune in. So take out your phone, set some silent alarms, with like little kind of quotes or little things to help you check in with yourself. And that can be really, really valuable. Perfect. So yeah, this forced or this planned pause mm -hmm. in the day where you pause and 
practice tuning into your body because most of the time we're not tuned in. We're all out here or in the past or in the future. So that gives us a reminder like, hey, just take take five seconds and tune in mm -hmm. and set an alarm so that you have technology on your side helping you for that. I love that. That is an excellent call to action. I'm going to do that and practice that mm -hmm. this week. Victoria, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. I so appreciate your time and everything that you're doing out in the world. I wish you the best of luck, and I hope that you have a very plantastic day over there in Bali. Thank you so much. I had a great chat with you. So enjoyed it. And yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.